Hi, and welcome to the Project Sebastian podcast. My name is Christopher Vellana, and I'll be your host today as we discuss the challenges of being a special needs parent. You see, my son Sebastian has Batten disease CLN8. Like you, I knew nothing about this horrible disease, and I had nowhere to turn to or no one to talk to. Even after having countless tests done, discussions with doctors, a wife at the time, family members, I felt more lost than ever. I was scared all the time, and alone, or so it seemed. After the final diagnosis, almost five years later, I took to the internet to create a podcast to discuss and talk about the very fears and the frustrations that have destroyed a family. Loving my boys was not enough. What I found out was that I am not alone. There are a great number of special needs families out there that are struggling just like me. Also, as we explore, discover, and discuss, we will find that the good, the bad, and the ugly is in all childhood diseases. So sit back and relax and listen as my guests, people like you, such as families, friends, advocates, and doctors, vent and share their experiences along their journey. We will hear the triumphs and the tragedies, and you will get all the support that you may be looking for today on the Project Sebastian podcast. Hey, thank you for joining us here today on the Project Sebastian podcast. We have a special treat for you today. Today's guest is Dr. Sean Hussein. He is one of many neurologists at UCLA here in California, but also has become quite the friend and advocate in my son's disease. As we all know, Sebastian is suffering from Batten disease, and his variant is CLN8. So from time to time, we bring on other families of uh, Batten disease. We also bring on other uh, children in other diseases, as you've heard in the past, from uh, parents of autism uh, and uh, other varieties of um, childhood illness. And uh, this month, we are doing the doctor series. And today we have with us Dr. Sean Hussein. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Chris. That's great. So, Sean, let me ask you this. How did you find the time today to join us? I know you're extremely busy. As I'm looking at your uh, your calling card here, can you kind of just tell us exactly what you do at uh, UCLA here in Los Angeles? Sure. So I'm a pediatric epileptologist. That's a mouthful, but that means I specialize in the treatment of children with epilepsy. And I focus on rather severe forms of epilepsy, uh, including infantile spasms, lennox Gastaut syndrome, and uh, you know, a series of other severe epilepsies. And I spend a lot of my time doing research. You know, almost 80% of my time is in research. And the motivation behind that is because we are short on effective therapies. So we, we really need to improve the menu for treatment of epilepsy out there. Right. So, um, listeners, this is um, quite a special guest for me. Um, I had met Dr. Hussein uh, many years ago um, after having a few doctors in the beginning of the misdiagnosis of uh, Sebastian on his way to a current diagnosis during these years um, under epileptic doctors. And we were brought to UCLA um, from a referral and we had met uh, this young doctor who basically took on Sebastian's case and under the, the, uh, the preconceived notion that it was just epilepsy. Is that true, Sean? Yes, and I point out that that's a pretty typical course 
that the diagnosis evolves over time and that you got to fine tune the classification of seizures and epilepsy to get the best care. Right, but, but at that time, we only knew of one issue that was going on was that he was having these seizures and we just didn't understand. Um, and so we were, we were, when I say we, my ex-wife and I, Terry, we were very grateful to have met uh, Dr. Hussein. Um, I always call him a brain surgeon. Do you, do you operate on brains? No, we participate in brain surgery and brain mapping for patients who are undergoing epilepsy surgery, but I'm a neurologist. I see. <laughs> and he loves pizza. So, uh, so we're going to do a, a short series of questions here. I know your time is uh, uh, very limited, Ben. I appreciate you joining us today. So um, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, like, you know, your background, what have you been doing up to this point? Sure. I just do pediatric epilepsy all day, every day. It's re really easy. Uh, now, the, the truth is that I have always been interested in the brain. I kind of guided my activities as early as college, and I gravitated toward the neurosciences. And because I wanted to participate in patient care and make my efforts you know, really pertinent and applicable to humans, uh, the logical choice was to go to medical school. And from there, I gravitated to both pediatrics and neurology, and that is how I got to become a pediatric epileptologist. You know, of all the things that can happen to you and affect the brain, I, I think epilepsy has the potential to be one of the worst things out there. And I, I think you know, having seen that there was such a shortage of effective therapies and the burden on many parents of kids with epilepsy, that was uh, the, the big reason driving me toward my career path, really sealed the deal. Now, when we first met, who were you under? Because we didn't actually come to you right away. Who who was your boss at that time? So I was a trainee at that time here at UCLA. <laughs> and uh, the, the two big folks that were guiding my training were Dr. Don Shields and Dr. Ramon Sankar. Yes. Dr. Shields is, was the person that we met. And then uh, this young, wet-behind-the-ears young man was following around with his notepad. And this is who you have today. This uh, young, accomplished father. Um, how long have you been in this profession, Sean? Uh, well, it depends how you start counting. I, I would say that since 2005, I've been seeing patients with epilepsy. Uh, but, you know, that was in the context of training. And that training didn't really end officially until 2012. I see. I see. So you... you in early on in your life, you, you had a, a calling, would you say, for this, being a doctor? Yeah, I think so. I, I had a friend who suffered pretty bad epilepsy after a car accident and brain injury. Yeah. And I think that made a pretty big impression on me very early. I don't know that I really would call it a calling, but I, I think there was some early influence that really planted a seed that uh, later grew into this specialty and career that you see now. So you were saying that the, your friend who had a horrible car accident was the reason why you got into this profession to help others, you would say, or just the brain? or I think it's a lot of things. That was one piece of the puzzle. I see. Uh, but I think the more important thing was that once I was committed to a career in neurology, I saw kind of a lot of incredible suffering and an incredible need for treatment of kids with epilepsy. And that's what really sealed the deal. No. That's for sure. So where did you graduate from? I graduated from UCLA as an undergraduate 
And then I headed off to the Albert Einstein College of Medicine for medical school. And then I came back to UCLA for training in pediatrics, neurology, and epilepsy. Wow. That's crazy. So um, you kind of went like a couple of different ways in choosing the path. And the changes that, that were pretty much significant were that you felt that there was a need. And during that time that you were getting your, I guess, your training or your, your undergrad study done, was there a specific field other than um, the epileptic community, or was that just something that was your chosen path? You know, I had a pretty open mind about things well into medical school. You know, I, I did have some interest in the brain and neuroscience, but I was keeping my options open. Uh, it just turned out that the best option was what I was thinking about all along. Which was what? Epilepsy. Ah, Epilepsy, I see. So uh, you say that this is your chosen field of passion. Absolutely. I see. And um, I uh, <clears throat> I understand you're married to a doctor, are you? That is true. And let, true. Let, let's talk about her. Sure. She is a pediatric hepatologist, so it's a liver specialist, oh. and more broadly, gastroenterologist. So she sees uh, all sorts of kids with various intestine or liver problems. I see. I see. Did you guys meet uh, in school, or was this somewhere else? Or uh, We were both undergraduate at UCLA. I see. And there was a spark underneath uh, all of that uh, book work, yes? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and so you ended up marrying your, your study partner, is what you're saying? Uh, something like that. I see. How long have you been married, Sean? Oh, boy. Long time. 2005. Oh, nice. Okay. Do we have any kids? I do. I got two. Two-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, wow. Okay. How do you guys have time? You're both uh, doctors. That's, uh, that's, we uh, don't do it very well. It doesn't. It... <laughs> I see. Now, <clears throat> I'm also learned that uh, one of your children is suffering from a, uh, uh, something that you're very familiar with. Yeah, no, that's, that was kind of came as a surprise, and I think it highlights just how common seizures and epilepsy are. My son has had uh, quite a few febrile seizures. Yeah, and we are just hoping we've seen the end of them. But uh, they keep happening. I see. So how long has he uh, had this uh, epilepsy? If Are we labeling that now, epilepsy, for your son? Well, technically, no. So epilepsy means that you have at least two unprovoked seizures, meaning seizures that come out of nowhere for no good reason. And so far, he's only had seizures that we think are associated with fever. Uh, but we're kind of in a gray area. You know, most people that have febrile seizures will only have one or two. Mm-hmm. And once you get up to having five or six, we start wondering about whether this is going to turn into epilepsy, especially when you get close to age six. And my son is five and a half, and he recently had his most recent one. So we're a little, a little nervous about that. But hopefully we're going to be out of the woods here soon, and maybe this will just be part of our past. Mm. But, but otherwise, you know, either way, you got to just deal with whatever's going on. And we will roll with those punches as need be. I see. It's uh, it's it's awful to hear as a parent who has a child with uh, seizures from time to time. Um, and I do. Uh, my heart does go out to you. The the irony, if you will. Um, but he's in great hands, obviously. So um, 
is Jack, right? Yes. Baby Jack. Well, I'm sure he's going to be just fine. And if he's not, then, you know, like you said, we just roll with the punches. You know, it's interesting that we're having this conversation, Dr. Hussein, because I, I uh, in the very beginning of uh, knowing you, you had counseled me on just that, um, how to deal in the daily life. Um, do you find that a lot of parents just do not understand how to make this work as a couple or, you know, the problems that may arise from this type of a, a serious illness? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a tough question. You know, when I think about my clinic, I, you know, I see, I tend to see kids with very severe epilepsy where the burden on the child and the parents is immense. Yeah. And I think people underestimate epilepsy in part because it's it's still stigmatized. People don't like to talk about it. People don't really know what seizures and epilepsy are. And then when you have to face it as a parent and get up close and personal, mm. it can be just earth shaking. Mm. And when I think about those parents in my clinic, the divorce rate is astronomically high. It's almost 90%. Yeah. And that really just reflects how painful uh, epilepsy can be. Uh, but on the other hand, you got to remember there's a big spectrum. And although epilepsy is fairly common, affecting about 1% of the population, most people with epilepsy do just fine. You know, the average listener is going to know several people with epilepsy and not know that they have epilepsy because they don't have any seizures and they're seizure-free. Maybe they take a medication a couple times a day. Uh, but then there's that whole other group of folks with epilepsy. About one-third of people with epilepsy have uncontrolled seizures, and they tend to do very badly. Yeah. Um, and to, to the point that they're ostracized and they don't really participate in regular society. You, you don't see them at work or at school because they maybe don't have a job or are not in regular school. Um, so it's it can be a pretty terrible disa- disaster that's hidden from public view. Yeah, and, and, I, and I can attest to the, the constant uh, challenges of having a special needs son uh, under the, you know, with having epilepsy. It... it it does take a toll on the relationships. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I did not survive my marriage. Uh, my uh, ex-wife and I, we uh, called it quits um, due to a variety of reasons. But this was really the challenging, this, uh, this horrible illness uh, of not being able to communicate or to support each other on different ideas on how to care for the child. Um, I won't get into the men and women are different, you know, conversations. That's a whole nother podcast. But I, I do remember you telling us um, that the statistics were very high for a very um, uneventful divorce. And uh, it's um, it's gut wrenching just to talk about it with you. I know that you, you with your son and being your work, that must play some fear as well. But. I would imagine that you uh, you uh, have resources to handle that, even as a doctor. Yeah. Yes, and uh, when I when I think about my son's seizures, it's a piece of cake. Really, really nothing compared to what parents are going through uh, for the kids who I see in clinic. I mean, this is uh, nothing on the scale of stress that I think other folks have to deal with. Yeah. And uh, sure, you know, I I know a whole bunch of pediatric epilepsy specialists. It's very easy for me to get the best care on the planet. And uh, so I've got a lot of reasons not to be stressed out about it. Uh, on the other hand, I kind of know every single way that this could go south. 
And that probably makes me stressed out in ways that other people are not stressed out. Right. I mean, it must, it must be very challenging for you as a doctor to handle so many different families and patients, um, as well as your own family, and now suffering with some of the same type of uh, challenges. Yeah, on the other hand, it probably makes me a better doctor. <laughs> well, I got to I got to tell you for the listeners out there, everyone listening, um, the hundred thousand listeners that I currently have, uh, Doctor Hussein uh, has not only been a fine physician for Sebastian, uh, but many other children and families, and I appreciate not only the friendship that has come from uh, this horrible uh, <laughs> type of thing called epilepsy, but I do appreciate you as the doctor as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, when we talk now about your getting into other areas, I mean, like, like I said, you know, your, your calling card is, um, you know, it's very impressive uh, in the sense of you have, you know, these, you know, associate professor of pediatrics, um, you're in pediatric neurology at uh, David Geffen, as well as you, you, you do hang out at Mattel. So with this type of specialty, is, is it basically, is it spilling over into any other types of diseases? Now we, we talk mostly about childhood illness here, but of course we talk about Batten disease whenever we can, because we want a cure. Um, are you finding that your specialty is like helping many different areas of neurology or is it you're finding that new ideas are coming in because of who you are as a doctor? You know, the focus is very much epilepsy itself, but when you get that epilepsy, there are all sorts of side effects, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about that epilepsy, uh, the risk of depression, anxiety disorders, other mood disorders is exceptionally high. And a lot of kids with severe seizures and epilepsy have intellectual problems. So things like intellectual disability uh, is, is a big consequence of epilepsy in many cases. And there's a big overlap between epilepsy and, and autism. Uh, so one aspect of my research is the interplay between infantile spasms and autism. But I will tell you, uh, my, my efforts are solidly in fighting seizures and epilepsy. Mm. And to the extent that we're successful in that, we will have side benefits in combating these other associated diseases. I see. Oh, it makes sense. It makes sense. So what do you feel is your opinion on Batten disease? Uh, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, we know it's bad, Sean. So when you, when you see the opportunity to do some more research in the areas of the brain, uh, with Batten disease, now that, you know, Sebastian has been properly diagnosed. Um, um, what do you feel? Do you feel that uh, these can correlate at all or other types of diseases correlating with epilepsy at all? Or is it just kind of like separate altogether? Uh, you know, it really depends. I mean, when you say Batten disease, that's really a family of, you know, several specific disorders that in some ways kind of look the same from the outside. But the reality is that there are a number of genes that have been linked or known to be responsible for that disease. And, uh, you know, we're really at this tipping point now where we have the opportunity to test various new therapies that are unique to that disease. Uh, and that includes gene therapy. That includes uh, 
some novel what we call small molecules, which are basically drugs that are that, that have the potential to be of benefit in bat disease, and that maybe don't have applicability to other forms of epilepsy. Uh, but this is a, a pretty big change. You know, up until a few years ago, the options for treatment of bat disease were really just limited to run-of-the-mill epilepsy drugs. Um, and for that reason, you know, outcomes were actually pretty bad for bat disease. Um, now there's hope that we can really demonstrably change the course of disease for a lot of kids with bat disease. Well, I, yeah, I, but we're I, not there. we got I, a long way to go still. Well, still, I mean, it, 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 you guys are starting to look at it, which is great. Uh, it, it does suck. It is very bad. I, I fucking hate it. And I can tell you everybody else on this planet that has some sort of childhood disease uh, is suffering. So, but, um, you know, <clears throat> what would you say that people can do? Meaning, how can we get to a faster diagnosis? How can, uh, what, what would you suggest to our listeners out there? If you, if you had any children that were suffering, you didn't know what to do. How can we get them a faster diagnosis, Sean? Oh, it's tough. You know, there. You know, the the number one guidance is to make sure that you're seeing a neurologist who specializes in epilepsy, because uh, that'll maximize the odds that they have number one heard of that disease and know how to go about the diagnosis. On the other hand, there's not a whole lot you need to do. Uh, there are a lot of efforts now to improve the speed and accuracy of genetic diagnosis for epilepsy in general, and with this kind of growing recognition that many forms of epilepsy have a genetic basis, uh, that is speeding precise diagnosis in ways that just weren't possible five or ten years ago. Uh, because genetic testing is uh, more readily available, it's cheaper, and you've got a whole generation of doctors who know how to do this sort of thing and understand the science and how to interpret the results. Uh, so you just want to make sure that you go somewhere where people know about the various kinds of epilepsy, know how to go about that diagnosis quickly. And uh, you'll hopefully be in good hands. So, what do you what do you feel about all this newborn screening testing and having um, some new uh, some new uh, ideas into uh, you know in the beginning of life? Any thoughts on that? You know, you know how we have we have tests for Down syndrome. We have now have genetic testing. Um, are you are you uh, an advocate for that, or do you not like that? Or uh, well, it's tricky, and there are not new there are not good newborn screening regimens for epilepsy in general. And the problem is that there are when you, when you think about a newborn, you know, the, the potential to have one of you know a million different diseases is fairly low for most of these kids. And the trick is knowing. You know, seeing a specific genetic abnormality or, or sequence of DNA change, and knowing with certainty or with a you know a high degree of confidence that you're actually going to get a problem from it, uh, that's tough. You know, right now for the most part we work in reverse. We start with the epilepsy and seizures. We kind of figure out what kind of epilepsy and seizures, and then we make some pretty good guesses about what the possible genetic problem could be. And when we do that, we have a fairly targeted approach. So we're not looking at all 22,000 genes. We're looking at a couple hundred genes, mm. and it improves our odds of finding a meaningful result. When you go the opposite direction, if you just start with the DNA and don't think about the individual patient or you don't know what's going to happen to the patient, then there's a big danger of false positive results, meaning you see a genetic sequence that looks suspicious, and then you 
alarm the patient and parents unnecessarily. You know, I, I would say be very careful about opening Pandora's box there. You know, you, you don't want to be the, the parent of a totally normal kid and then suddenly get an alert that there's a little bit of a chance that your kid might have something terrible. Now you, you the danger of causing a lot of unnecessary and unhelpful stress and anxiety for the parent and that kid. Well, but when, we, but when we are you... not good at just going from DNA and making an accurate statement about the sort of seizures and epilepsy that might uh, lay in waiting for that kid. Well, yeah, but don't don't you think that parents would want to know before the child is born if there was going to be an issue on any level, not just you know seizures, but you know other forms like you know. I had no idea I was a carrier for Batten, and I didn't know I married another Batten carrier, and now we produced a Batten disease child. Had I known that, I probably would have had a little bit more time to jump on a solution. Yeah, it's tempting to think it's that simple. And I, I think most people would casually say, yes, I'd love to have that information and be able to act on it. But I think we also underestimate the, the, the stress and impact of false worry. So we, you got to be very careful about it. And yes, to the extent that we could screen everybody for every disease and uh, do genetic testing on everyone's partner and and be able to flag any sort of problem, sure, there are definitely situations where that makes sense. But in the vast majority of situations right now, it doesn't make sense to do that that kind of genetic testing, and that's why it's not done. I see. So you're saying it's it's more of a causing a havoc uh, rather than a helpful. Correct, yeah. You know, if we were just to do genetic testing on everybody, we would have far, far more false positives than correct diagnoses there. So we're trying to, you're trying to reduce a panacea of panic, if you will. Correct. Okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, uh, you uh, you warned uh, Terry and I in the beginning not to be uh, WebMD enthusiasts or diagnosing self stuff. So, um well, we never listened, of course. I don't think any parent would. Yeah, um, if it's possible. Yeah, it is impossible. <laughs> well, uh, all right, let's change it up a little bit here. So we, we, we got a little bit of background. We know what you're doing. Um, are you involved with any any particular charities or organizations or foundations currently? Um, uh, I've already told the listeners, you're one of my board members. You're actually one of the, the chief resident doctors for Project Sebastian, but um are, are there any other organizations that are near and dear to your heart that you're helping currently? Absolutely. Uh, so there's actually a, you know, a growing groundswell of support to study and treat epilepsy. And there are a couple organizations that deserve a shout out that would include the Epilepsy Foundation in general, the national organization, as well as the local chapter here in Los Angeles, which is the Epilepsy Foundation of Greater Los Angeles. Uh, another great group is called CURE. Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. They're also a big uh, nationwide foundation. They do a lot of advocacy and sponsor research. Um, the other group would be the Child Neurology Foundation, and I am a, a board member of the Child Neurology Foundation. And they are, you know, their approach is broader than just epilepsy. It's all childhood neurologic diseases, and they are a great convener of many groups to tackle a variety of issues in in both epilepsy and, and neurological disorders in general. I see. Um, also, I, I, I've, I've known that I have never been, which I, I want to do that, 
but you you are very big in the Epilepsy Foundation at UCLA. Is what's the name of it again? Uh, well, there are several, and I, I don't want to confuse that with what is called the Epilepsy Foundation, a national organization focused on epilepsy. And oh. their local chapter has supported a, a lot of training and research here at UCLA. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So the ones that you just mentioned were the ones that you you uh, you're involved with, and those are the ones that you're pushing. So um, going forward, do you have any new goals in your area of study, and 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 what is your time frame on that? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, the goals are pretty simple. We need to find more cures for the various forms of epilepsy. And uh, number one on my own personal list is uh, a disorder called infantile spasms, which is not the same as Batten, but they are both bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, to the extent that we are searching for cures, that's, that's a big reason why I spend a lot of my time in research. And uh, that's always a bit of a balancing act because I always have to decide how much time I'm going to allocate to seeing patients versus how much time I spend in our clinical research laboratory. Oh, then there's, then there's your family. Don't forget those guys. Oh, goodness, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're saying that those those goals could not come fast enough. That is absolutely true. I see. You know, we are constantly racing against time. When you, when you think about any kid in the clinic – Things are not moving fast enough, and mm-hmm. and to some extent, you got to dedicate time to helping the kid right in front of you. Um, but you also have to look at the long game and think about the kid who's going to have that disease ten years from now, or the kid who's going to get infantile spasms ten years from now. And we want the landscape and the options and the therapies available to those future kids to the, to look a, a heck of a lot better than they look for kids today. People dying from epilepsy, Doctor Hussein. Unfortunately, you know, life expectancy is quite a bit lower for epilepsy, although it's disproportionately low for the kids with the most severe forms of epilepsy. Yeah, so things like that disease clearly have reduced lifespan. And when you think about people who have frequent uncontrolled seizures, their risk of dying from epilepsy is substantially higher than the general population as well. I see. So um, knowing that we have a lot of these challenges, you know, going forward, to these young professionals coming up that want to be in this field, what you what would you say are the traits of a successful doctor in this area, in your mind, or your opinion? Let me tell you, we are so short-staffed in the world of pediatric epilepsy that our criteria for success are pretty low. I'm sorry, Sean, we dropped the call there. Uh, You know, technology is sometimes just as challenging as medicine, but you were saying about the the rate of success for upcoming doctors in your area is low. Yeah, you know, our bar is pretty low in part because we're so desperate for physicians who are willing to commit to a career in epilepsy. I see. And I think we we face barriers on multiple fronts. Uh, And the biggest is that, you know, the duration of training to become a specialist in epilepsy is quite long. You know, it's typically seven years after you complete medical school to become a pediatric epilepsy specialist. And a lot of people are not willing to invest that time or take that opportunity cost. Wow. And, uh, you know, the problem is, you know, in, to the extent that epilepsy is stigmatized among the general public, it's also stigmatized among medical professionals. And if you haven't heard of epilepsy going into medical school, you're likely not going to get inspired to go down that route. Uh, so 
our, our efforts are broad and we need to increase awareness of epilepsy among everybody. And that includes the general public. That means uh, you know, parents of young children, but it also means healthcare professionals uh, and uh, healthcare specialists in training as well. I see. So you're, you're, you're saying it's frustrating, you know, moving forward in science because we just don't have enough professionals to handle this workload is what you're saying. Absolutely. And that really compromises the, the quality of care out there, even in our own clinics where we, we like to think that we know what we're doing and we're good at it. Mm-hmm. But when patients can't get into clinic properly, uh, we're not providing the best care that we could. I see. So how, how can anyone specifically help you or your institutions, um, you know, in your cause to meeting these goals of uh, shortages or money? What can we do? Oh, write a check. <laughs> just like that, write a check. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a big part of the problem is simply funding. You know, there just isn't enough funding around to train specialists. I see. Uh, but, you know, the, well, you know, what can the average person out there do? You know, talk about epilepsy. Don't keep it a secret. I, I think there's this, this pressure on parents to kind of internalize what's going on, to not necessarily reach out for help, um, and not talk about it with their friends and loved ones or the public. And by keeping our struggles a secret, we make the problem a little worse. I see. <laughs> so we don't want to keep our struggles a secret anymore. Correct. Well, that's true. I, I often find that I have a lot more relief when I discuss, uh, you know, my my situations. Uh, well, predominantly it's all fear-based, of course, because, you know, you never know how much time you're going to have left on this planet, let alone your child who's suffering with a horrible fatal disease like Batten disease. But um, I met a lot of families uh, who buried their children and uh, they, they're, they're not really talking a lot about it either. So that's a uh, very, you know, it's very sad, but I, I, I find comfort in talking about it. You know, you and I, we, we talk once a month about it and I, um, uh, I think it's very important. Um, so, if people want to help you, Sean, where can they write or send a check? Oh, they should just reach out to me. They can e- anybody can email me. Okay. Uh, uh, we uh, we definitely need support. Okay. So is there an uh, email we can throw out there for the listeners? Sure. My email. It's, it's my last name, Hussain, H-U-S-S-A-I-N, at mednet.ucla.edu. You can also just Google me and my email's out there. Awesome. So we'll just uh, put that in the show notes as well. So uh, we can uh, send money directly to Sean and he'll make sure that it gets into the right hands and not the pizza guy. So, um, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll provide a link for a uh, secure donation site. That'd be great. So, uh, Sean, unfortunately, run out of time. I could talk to you all day. I appreciate all of the things that you're doing. Uh, you're championing quite an important cause and you've uh, actually started to spill over into other areas to offer support and medical knowledge. Um, it's uh, It's been an honor to have you on my show today. I do appreciate all your work. You are Sebastian's like angel, as they would say. And uh, we just, um, we honor all of the physicians out there, of course. And if you need any more uh, help or discussion, You can email Sean for your epilepsy questions and funding. As always, you can always go to projectsebastian.org and click on the link, and we will replay this for you as many times. 
We're going to upload this right now to iTunes, Spotify, and about 10 other platforms to find you. We will put in hashtag epilepsy. So thank you, Dr. Hussein, and I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Chris. You're too kind. Ah, you just keep doing what you're doing. We'll keep having a really great relationship. That's all the time we have for today, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Project Sebastian podcast. Thank you again for listening to another great podcast today. Christopher Valoni, our host here, saying thank you again for enjoying and listening to the Project Sebastian podcast. As always, if you want to be a guest on our show, just drop us a line at info at projectsebastian.org, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Please visit our website and donate today. That's at www.projectsebastian.org. Without your help, we couldn't be here today, so please visit, share, donate, like, and tell everyone about us. Of course, you can always find us on social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, under the name Project Sebastian. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks again, and tune in next time, everybody. Thanks again, and again, and again, and that's it.